Hello, welcome to the West Side Podcast. This is where we'll post some of our audio from our sermons on Sunday, and we're so glad that you're here. West Side's vision is to reconcile people to God through the grace of Jesus step by step. We hope you enjoy, and thanks for tuning in. So, uh, just this kind of rhetorical, but I'm going to ask you to play along with me, if you would, please. How many of you frequently uh, send or receive text messages? Come, those of you that don't have your hands up, you're all liars, okay? Because we do this a lot. All right, I need a little help with identifying what these abbreviations or acronyms or whatever. That's not one. What's? I don't even know what the first one is. Okay. I don't know either. Let's come up with an answer. All right, what's the next one? Fear of missing out. Very good. You guys are sharp. All right, how about this one? Never mind. I get those sometimes from my wife, Pam. If I don't respond to the previous text fast enough, I get a never mind. How about this one? You only live once, not all of us knew that, but that's okay, it doesn't really matter. How about this one? Laugh, laugh, laugh out loud. What? Laugh out loud. I'm changing it today. I'm changing it today. Today's sermon is titled, Lessons of Lot, or... Or lots of lessons that probably would have been read better that way. So, so now when you're sent, getting, sending and receiving texts and you get an, OL, an LOL, maybe you'll think about this painful message today. I was so grateful, as I mentioned, that uh, Pastor Joshua asked if I'd come back. I was really surprised to even get an invite back here to come back and, and share. So I was really excited about it until he told me which chapter in the book of Genesis was my responsibility. And it's chapter 19. So here, just so you know up front, I'm challenging you, if you haven't done so already, that after today's message, you at least read Genesis 19. And perhaps some of the truths that God reveals today, uh, maybe you can Look at those things over the backdrop of Genesis 19. I'm going to not read the text. It is full of debauchery and disgust. And this is a, oh, and then I found this out three days ago. Not only is the text challenging, but I get to do it at a family service. And I thought, great, this is going to be so fun. So... Parents, you might have to do some uh, decoding or something as you explain things to your kids. Lessons of lot or lots of lessons. I'm going to give you a quick and uh, uh, yeah, quick overview without reading the text. Okay, Genesis 19 verses one through three. The angels arrive. Uh, lots at the city gate. He's got some influence. He's a leader uh, in Sodom. And then Lot invites the angels into his home for their protection. And it becomes pretty clear 
that because of this invitation, not only does it reflect hospitality, but there seems to be an indication that Lot knew that the city was corrupt. Verses 4 through 11, the men of Sodom surround the house. The text does say both young and old, and in it there suggests pretty strongly the perversion, should I say sexual perversion and corruption. And not only was it present, but it was trans or multi-generational. To protect the angels, Lot offers his two daughters to the men of all ages of the community to protect his honored guests. Does that not also suggest perhaps that some of what was taking place in Sodom and Gomorrah had made its way into Lot's life? Then the men are struck with blindness. Not the men, the angels, but the men of town are struck with blindness. Verses 12 through 23, the angels rescue Lot and lead him and his family out of town, not because of anything Lot did or deserved, but because of the mercy and the goodness of the Lord. You recall the prayers of Abram or Abraham, and uh, God honors that by way of his mercy. That's not good enough for Lot. He just says, hey, by the way, while you're saving my life, instead of going where you want me to go, can I go to the town of Zoar? Always wanting more. Sounds like my sinful nature, frankly. Verses 24 through 26, fire and brimstone rain down in judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot's wife, who has no name, longs to return to the good life. It's important. I, I think the text bears out that it wasn't just, hey, I'm running and I did a quick over-the-shoulder glance. It's more of, a, I long for the things that I used to enjoy. The good life, as it were. Verses 27 through 29, the narrative shifts back to Abraham and his righteousness. And then, it closes with some wonderful news in verses 30 through 38. Those passages show just how much the wickedness of Sodom had infiltrated, had gotten into Lot and his family, quite frankly. There's more clear sexual perversion from what God's intended plan was. And the children that are born of Lot's uh, daughters become a significant detriment to Israel and her future for a long, long time. The Amorites were born of this union and the Moabites, you can read all about it. Whew. Got through it without having to read any of the text. How about that? Yay! So anyhow, Genesis 19 is a cautionary tale of how not to live our lives. Because whether you would like to acknowledge it or not, there's a place of purity and holiness that God has called us to as Christ followers that clearly puts the world around us, the world in which we live, as a picture of Sodom and Gomorrah. You may argue that point, but it's true. 
And Lot took a series of very small steps that led him closer and closer to a dangerous moral situation, and he ended up ruining his life and running for his life and losing everything. What are some timeless truths? Lot of lessons, or lots of lessons. The first one that I'd like to submit to you, and I think it it bears either noting in your phone or making a note of some kind, and it's very important for us to grasp. A lesson that we learn from the story is this, that our life direction, our life direction, not our intentions, determines our destination. The direction of our life determines where we're going to end up, not the intentions of our life. I think every single step that led up to disaster, Lot would have said, you know, I have good intentions. I want the best of my wealth and my animals and the good life and being close to a metropolis and I'm also gonna live for God. That's my intention. I'm pretty certain he would have thought that way. I'm gonna honor the God of Abraham. I'm not going to get caught up in this nonsense of the world around me, Sodom in this particular case. But let me remind you, it is not our intention that determines our destination. It's the course or the direction that our lives are on. And where do we see Lot's direction headed over a number of years? Closer and closer and closer to Sodom. Closer and closer with each passing of time or seasons of time. You know that he became an influential leader in the city. The fact that they said the angels found him at the gate uh, would indicate that in fact, some, some translators or interpreters say that his leadership in the city would be similar to a mayor in our culture today. I don't know how factual that is, but he did have some influence. <clears throat> For some of us, the direction that we're headed may very well wreck our lives. Did you hear that? That was timed perfectly. <laughs> Ding! Now this is serious stuff because some either listening to the podcast or here in this room, um, you're headed towards a wreck. You're on a path that's leading to addiction. Uh, you're on a path to divorce or some other immoral maneuver. Now I get it. None of us intend to wreck our lives. You guys all would say, if I said, hey, you ready to wreck your life? Every one of you would say, no, thank you. But remember, it doesn't approach us that way. It's a step at a time, a step at a time. Comfort levels rising with the Sodom around us. 
It's just a step at a time because it's the direction, not the intention that matters. The moment uh, Lot pitched his tents towards Sodom, I think that's in chapter 13, that Joshua probably already covered all that, but, but anyhow, the minute he made that step towards Sodom and pinched his tents near there, problems began happening one small step at a time. And he started walking down a path that we know by reading the story that ended up in total destruction. I mean, everything around him that mattered was gone. Even all his wealth, his home, his wife, and the whole story with his daughters is even hard to grasp. So our life direction, not our intentions, determines our destination. The second lesson is this. What we look for, what we look for, what we pander towards, what, what we look for, we begin to value. Well, I like this and I look for that. Let's go back a little bit to Genesis 13 and see if we can detect anything in Lot's life that shows that his sight was more powerful than his faith. Genesis 13 and verse 10. Lot looked around. Remember, their herdsmen had had a fight over the well and they had been so blessed in Egypt and they had all these herdsmen and all these people and all these animals. They couldn't live together anymore. Remember that? Lot looked around and saw the whole plain of the Jordan towards Zoar was well watered. Like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. You see, Lot couldn't get past what his eyes saw. Because what we set our eyes on, set our eyes on, not glance at, not be aware, but what we set our eyes on is what we value. And it's in complete contrast to Abraham, who didn't go by what he saw. Here's how the writer of Hebrews addresses it in Hebrews 11, verse 8. By what? By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Abraham, Abram, heard from God, stepped out in, in faith-filled obedience. Lot, on the other hand, relies on what he sees, what might benefit him as he gets close to the city so he can trade animals and barter and do whatever they do and he can amass even more wealth. Abraham lived by faith, Lot by sight. And you know, one of the reasons I think this is so dangerous, and it's very clear to all of us, because if we live by sight, my eyes are deceptive because they're attached to my heart, and scripture tells us that the heart is deceitful above all things. Careful what your eyes lock in on. Once Lot saw the plains of the Jordan, he couldn't get it out of his head. So what are you choosing? 
what are you choosing to put in front of you? I'm not talking about an occasional waste of your visual skills. What I'm talking about is your life characterized by putting before you social media for hours on end ad nauseum, or is it a deepening pursuit of God's holy word and an understanding about what he might reveal to you about both himself and you? Whatever we put in front of our eyes consistently, for better or worse, that's what we begin to value. So I charge you, be very careful with your eyes. The third lesson that we learn from Lot is this. We all know it, but it's clearly in the text here. And that is that sin always has our best interests at heart. It always does. Looks kind of sparkly, kind of enticing. It's going to make my life better. It always has our best interests at heart. I mean, don't you think that Lot felt fully justified making the decision to pitch the tent down in the valley near the city? I mean, he must have felt justified. It's a large plain, which would be a much better place for the acquisition and maintaining and the fulfillment of continuing the wealth growth that he's enjoyed. I mean, he's got so much stuff. This is going to be perfect. I'll be just outside the city gates. I got all my critters nearby. I can make some bank. So I'll continue to bolster that which... I find is promising and has my best interests at heart. In his mind, he probably had a bunch of reasons to justify why his choice was the right choice. Now, I'm not going to ask you to tell any of your personal stories, but do you identify with this confession that I'm about to share? That sometimes when we get close to sin, or involve ourselves in it, are you, like me, pretty good at justifying your behavior to yourself, to others? I'm one of those. Sorry, you got stuck with the sinner up front today. I'm sure he justified in his mind that he was making the right choice, but see, that's the problem. Sin always has our best interest at heart or in mind. We've lived the truth. And you think about the fact that much of the sin that we face, most of the sin that we face is brought about by our own choices and our own conduct. Occasionally, there will be outside circumstances, I guess, that can bring it about. But literally, I could say every bad decision that I have ever made in my life, and there's been many, has one common denominator, me, or we. That's the common denominator. And if you do not believe that there is one who wants to uh, steal, kill, and destroy your life, then that makes him a contributing factor 
to the destruction that we bring about. And he wants to destroy your walk with Jesus. Sin's incredibly deceptive, which frankly is why we need God. When the Holy Spirit first touched my heart about my sinfulness, it was quite a 180 degree turn because I had it going on. Life was so good. I had everything that the Sodom that I lived in at the time said you needed to have, but somehow God in his great grace got through to my heart, my mind, and my soul and said, I have a better plan. And I said, what is your better plan? And somebody told me that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I was taken all of that. That's a promise I want. Our hearts, they're jacked up and sin is deceptive. The fourth truth or principle that we learn kind of comes in the form of a question. Are you living in Sodom? Living in Sodom, number four, boom. I got two words for you. Run now. Run now. This is for all of us who might be living in a situation that tends to have a little taste a little appearance of Sodom. Maybe not near as graphic by any means, but just a little taste of it. Maybe you are single, or let's say married for that matter, and you are enticed by or having inappropriate physical relationship with someone. I'm just telling you, run. Run. It feels good for a season, but the fire and the brimstone will follow. Just run. Maybe the ethics at your place of employment left the house years ago, and you're still hanging around, perpetuating what you know is displeasing to the Lord. You see, we don't want to wait until the fire starts raining down and we lose our career lose our business, lose our marriage, lose our family. Aren't you glad you came today to this uplifting message? If anything around you appears to be a bit like Sodom, or if the Holy Spirit convicts your soul that you might be taking tolerance to a place where it's impure and it's compromising, I'm telling you, as strong as I can, start running now. In case you didn't hear me, start running now. Destruction could come. Who's the, who did that? Who did that amen thing? Right on. Good job. Yeah. Okay, the fifth and final lesson, I gotta wrap this thing up. Well, maybe I got a little bit more time. I don't know. Is this. Our choices deeply impact those that we love and the generations to follow. 
Our choices directly impact those we love and the generations that follow. You know, as bad as things got for life in the first 29, got for Lot in the first uh, 29 verses, pardon me, I'm telling you, the tragic tale isn't over and it gets a whole lot worse. I'll summarize it. I kind of alluded to it a little bit. And if you want the gory details, and I suggest that you read the totality of God's holy word, I challenge you to read Genesis 19 for yourself in its entirety. But here's where, here's where we are. After Lot lost his wealth, his home, his wife, all influence in city government, blah, 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 Lot and his two daughters settle finally in the cave in the mountain. And that just makes me think of, oh, how the mighty have fallen. He had everything. Some of you here have everything. Remember what's on the line when sin makes promises that it can't fulfill. So his daughters, because all the dudes in the valley were wiped out, his daughters, the same daughters that he curiously offered to the men of the city to have their way with, decide, wow, the only way we're going to have offspring is if we come up with a plan with dad. I mean, even saying this story just grosses me out. But it's in the word. So they come up with a plan and become impregnated. And I told you about the Ammonites and the Moabites briefly. Now, how many of you know who Maury Povich is? Yeah, that's old people know. He, he does a, well, whatever. So the, the thing is, it's like a talk show thing. And he does the most crass deals on there. He would not take this show. It's totally messed up. He wouldn't even take it. The descendants of this incestuous relationship become tribes that would be at war and stumbling blocks for Israel for centuries. Lot's life choices didn't just affect him. They affected those he loved. And there's a clear picture. It impacted and affected generations to follow. It was a thorn in the flesh of God's redemptive plan, as a matter of fact. It didn't prevail. I mean, his choices, it got his wife killed, ruined the lives of his two daughters and the generations to follow. Our choices never just affect us. They always affect those we love and the generations to come. One tragedy of the story I'd like to point out is... Um, it might actually be, you know, one of the greatest tragedies might actually be that it was actually unbeknownst to Lot that Sodom had gotten into him. He wanted to hang out near Sodom. He wanted to profit from Sodom. But the price he paid was that Sodom and the way that the culture spoke and the culture thought and the culture acted had actually gotten into him 
Now, it might be a leap for some of you, but I still challenge you to do this. Look at the world in which we live, you live, and assess whether or not there's a little bit more Sodom taking place around you than you're aware of. That's one challenge. And if you do find that that's so, make some adjustments. And I'll close with these few comments. Do not let the Sodom of this age, do not let the Sodom of this age influence our actions, corrupt our minds, attack our families, weaken our faith, or compromise our witness. Has the woefulness of this world infected you? Would you bow your heads with me, please? Our worship team in its entirety is going to return. Uh, some of those who are prepared to pray uh, for us are going to move to the prayer station. And why heads are bowed and eyes are closed, um, pretty ominous story, I know. And, and for those of you who might have been a little offended to think that the Bible is actually this graphic, um, it is. And God's love for humanity is so big and it's so great that he felt it important by inspiration of the Holy Spirit that stories like this and others are there for us to read and to grasp and to comprehend and to be changed. With heads bowed and eyes closed, and I really, really ask that this would be a time of privacy and safety for everyone who's here. If you are here today and you really sense that the Spirit of God is saying you are living too close to Sodom. You're living too close to destruction. If you're here today, no one's looking around, but this is a very important time. Would you raise a hand heavenward and say, yes, Lord, I know I'm getting too close. Strengthen me. God bless you. Hold them high. Thank you so much. Others that would say yes. Are there others that would join these many and say, I am too close. I am too close. You can put your hands down. Thank you for your vulnerability. Heavenly Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that by the power of your Holy Spirit, that Lord God, you would, um, you would comfort those who were willing to be vulnerable before you that you would move into their minds and their hearts, their soul, their circumstances in such a way that they will flee from the potential destruction. Father, I pray that you would glorify yourself. Continue to glorify yourself in this delightful and wholesome church community. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, is there anyone here today that you need to rededicate your life to Jesus Christ? You need to recommit to him, or perhaps you're one who says, I, I've never given my life to Christ, like these others did. Would you raise your hands right now? Just lift them up that we might be able to pray for you. Anyone who would do that? 
God bless you. Lord, we love you. We bless you. We promise to devote our hearts, our minds, our livelihood, our conversation, our relationships to you, that they might bring glory and honor to your name. Amen.